Hey, what's up, people? Welcome to our live stream. Today, we're going to be talking about racism in the art world. And if you want to learn how to turn your artistic weakness into your strength, definitely check out artprof.org, where we have lots of free resources, tutorials, critiques, art dares, and all that cool stuff. So, Clara, why don't you get us started in our touchy discussion seat? <laughs> racism is not an easy topic, but it's out there and we need to discuss it and share our experiences. We're gonna start in art school because the thing about big topics like this is they can feel so big that it's difficult to know where to begin. And so oftentimes I try to start with myself. I say, where have I seen an instance of racism within the context of the art world? And for me, it was at a faculty meeting. I was at a school, in a department meeting. And one of the faculty said as an issue to bring up, I don't know how to get the Asian girls to talk. None of the Asian girls talk in class. They're so quiet. I don't really know how to get them to talk. I was just sort of floored. And usually I'll tell you faculty meetings are super boring and I don't wanna be there. And I just sit through them when I was at RISD. But I spoke up this time <laughs> because I said to this person, listen, this is what I do when I have an Asian girl in my class. I talk to them. I talk to them during breaks. I ask them, how is your day? I see what's going on in their lives. Why is it Asian girls, Jordan? Why, why did she have to pick up this like one group and say, oh, Asian girls don't talk in class? I'm so furious. Like I can't even uh, begin. You're, honestly, your guess is as good as mine. Um, I, I mean, clearly she wasn't aware of the type of question she was asking. <laughs> she wouldn't have asked it. Um, like the, the mindset that you have to have to think that saying something like that is appropriate um especially in that environment in a professional environment it's one thing to say certain things behind closed doors like everyone does but in a professional setting where you're trying to influence students and faculty alike that's just really inappropriate and i was so mad because first of all to ask that question to begin with but second of all because this faculty member had to ask that question i knew that she had never talked to one of these Asian female students, because if you talk to any of them, and a lot of them are international at a lot of colleges, you would start to understand their culture, because actually a lot of international students from China, we had many when I was at RISD, they are taught specifically to not speak up in class. That is not the norm. You're supposed to accept that the teacher is the main authority. You're never supposed to question that. And I was like, you know, maybe if you talk to them, you would understand that. And so the problem is multi-layered. And I was just furious when I heard that. And tell us in the chat, how many of you here yourself have experienced racism? Have you seen it somewhere? Tell us your story, because I think sharing those personal experiences is very important. So Jordan, you've had a couple encounters at art school. Tell us about your experience. Yeah, well, um, one was, <laughs> I remember I was um, in, a, in a class where, um, and, and I was trying to get feedback from my professor at the time. And in the drawing, it had a 
it was a cell portrait of me and I had my hands showing. And he asked me, why are the underside of my hands lighter than my actual skin color? <laughs> because apparently after all the years of teaching, he had never considered that <laughs> my skin is actually lighter here. And, and he's like, so, and he has a very authoritative voice. Like, why'd you do that? I was like, cause that's what my hand looks like. He's like, let me see. And I literally had to just show my hands like this. Um, and, he, and, he sit, and he sat there for a second and he's like, okay, that makes sense. I was like, bro, like you, <laughs> you, you've never noticed this. And I don't even know how many years you've been teaching, but it, it was really uncomfortable. It was really, really uncomfortable to have to just, you know, just share that, I guess. I don't even, like, it's, I thought that was common knowledge. I, I really thought, but I guess. I guess yeah. it's not. That is so uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't like even 19, know. I'm like 19 years old. <laughs> Yikes. Wow. Well, guess he learned something new that day. Right. Yeah. Hopefully, that discussion <laughs> never had to happen again for any other student. But I actually had a classmate who was there at the time and remembers that conversation being really awkward. I mean, sometimes I wonder whether people even pick up on how embarrassed they should be because there was this one time. So in a lot of college art departments, what you can do sometimes is propose an elective. Like you can go to the department head and say, oh, here's a class I wanna teach and you can write the course proposal. So there's a course that I always wanted to teach and I called it personal narratives in drawing. And it was meant to dig into a person's history. So inevitably you would talk about race and you would talk about gender identity and all kinds of important topics. And I've been trying to get this elective to run many times. I mean, it was rejected at least four times. And I remember at one point I went to the department head and I said, listen, I think these concerns, racism and um, gender identity, all these things, I think they're very important. And the department head looks at me and says, well, we already have these two classes that cover those topics. I'm like, I know those two classes and they're taught by two white men who are over the age of 65. I'm like, I'm sorry, it's just not the same thing. I mean, did this department head really think that was okay? Or was it just laziness? Like, I can't tell which it was. Definitely laziness has to be an aspect of it. I just don't, I don't get it. I don't understand what makes it so hard to just include something that would help students out a little bit more. You know, like it wasn't a selfish request by any means to have this class. Yeah. We've got some comments from people in the chat. Sarah says, I teach history and shockingly, I have never experienced Asian women in my classes being any less involved than anyone else. I mean, I don't think about Asian girls in that way. <laughs> I don't think about them. I mean, I'm one of them. I'm really chatty and loud in a lot of classes. Ronnie says, me, I'm Arab. And whenever I join a chat, people will be afraid of me. I'm sorry you're experiencing that. That's really not okay. And Anna says, I've experienced anti-Semitism, ableism, and heterosis normativity in the art world, and I'm white. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's coming from multiple directions for many different people. Leslie says, I had a couple of friends of other backgrounds tell me that I occasionally 
would make awkward racist comments, which I had no idea. I apologize so much. As I listened to my family, they are quite racist, and I was repeated what they were saying. It is tricky. I mean, nobody's going to be perfect at anything necessarily. And I can tell you, things are different than they were when I was a teenager. And we've all stumbled. I always feel bad. I used to mess up people's pronouns. I still do. I try hard not to, but it happens inevitably. So yeah, really tricky. And then Jordan, I know you had something happen with one of your peers as well oh, yeah. at our so, school. So for context, everyone, this was when I was currently, or I was at the time I was Clara's student. Uh, she was not there at the time. We were just doing homework in the studio and we were doing a skeleton drawing and I asked a student uh, for some feedback and he told me that I should add darker values. And then he's like, and he looked at me, he's like, well, cause you know, and basically insinuating like, yeah, you should understand cause you're black. And <laughs> I, I was stunned. I've never heard anything quite like that before. Um, and I checked him like on the spot. I was like, bro, you can't, I don't know exactly what I said, but he, he definitely, I definitely made him feel uncomfortable for, for saying what he did. And uh, we were not cool after that. Surprise. How could you be? I mean, I am just <laughs> thinking about that statement every single time I saw that person. Yeah, I, I certainly didn't seek out his uh, companionship at any point during the remainder of my time <laughs> at the school. But uh, yeah, it was, I don't know what would possess someone to say that, honestly. And if you're watching, shame on you. I forgive you, but shame on you. <laughs> Well, Raven's Fine Art Podcast says people only think of racism as overt things like name calling or people writing around in sheets. So some people can't grasp the subtleties of real racism. That is such a good point, Raven's Fine Art, because I think in the news, they do tend to talk about the bigger, more explosive, dramatic situations. And that's why I think it's important for people to share from their personal experience, because it's not like this person yelled a slur at you, Jordan, right. but what they did almost has the same effect because they're still insulting you. I think it actually hurts more when it's more subtle, um, because when it's overt, you know where people stand on the issue. If they, if they call me a racial slur, I'm like, okay, I understand. You know, and I, of course, be angry, but at least I'm not caught off guard the same way as something that's very subtle. Um, and because there's such a gray area in there, you can say, oh, they could kind of defend themselves like, oh, that's not what I meant. Like, well, what did you mean? Um, and just go back and forth that way. So it's, it's a tricky subject altogether. Well, when I was at that faculty meeting, I don't think anybody else thought it was a problem for that faculty member to ask about the Asian girls not talking. I really think I was the only person that was mad about that. And so it's hard when you feel like you're the only person who notices and everybody else is like, oh, that's fine. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Like Seven Angelic says, a lot of the racism is baked into things, which is so sad. I cannot tell you how many beige colored things I've seen labeled flesh. Yeah, like Jennifer Noel says, I was using some old watercolors I found the other day. This pale pink tone color was called flesh tone, as if there's only one flesh tone. I remember that. The Crayola set, it was called flesh, and nobody really thought twice about it when I was five. So it's very awkward. I didn't 
I didn't know that. Maybe they changed it by the time I was around. Or they changed it. It's, it's... Oh, okay. I was I was going to blame it on the fact that I couldn't read at the time. So <laughs> maybe I don't know. I don't remember that. But dang, that's crazy. Yeah. Squid Icky says racism is something that makes everyone uncomfortable, but you have to actively catch yourself and think about your actions. It's not easy for us to talk about. I mean, I'll tell you, we've done lots of streams here in the past that do talk about race and talk about things that are not easy to discuss, but we talk about them even though it makes me sweat before the stream. It is stressful to talk about that, but people need to know that it's okay to share that experience. Now, here's another thing that's interesting is that because of Black Lives Matter, there's been one really noticeable concrete change in these art teacher Facebook groups. I'll drop in every now and then and see what's going on. And lately, there's a lot of posts like this. Hello, I plan on using Instagram for online instruction so students can research artists, particularly BIPOC and LGBTQIA artists who are working now. Anyone have a going list they'd like to share or would like to collaborate on one? What are your favorite studio art readings by BIPOC artists, historians, theoreticians? And I'm like, is it? that hard to find BIPOC artists online, is it? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I've never had an issue finding them <laughs> or any anyone. They have a name. I'm just, like, they're good. They're good to go. It's pretty easy to find. I mean, do you have a list of BIPOC artists that you keep, Jordan? <laughs> never. I have never had a list in my head of what of their skin tone matching <laughs> with their abilities. For my favorite artists, a lot of them happen to be Black, but that's not by design it's just like i like their work and i would like it just as much if they were asian or mexican or you know european whatever it doesn't really matter to me art is art is supposed to be a space where everyone can just fit in this bubble you know we we can all be creative we can all see the world in a unique way and we can all appreciate what we have to bring to the table so i don't look at it that way personally well, the other thing, there are arts writers out there who are making your life very easy in terms of finding diverse artists. Like I interviewed Isis Davis Marks, who's an arts writer, and Isis has done tons of articles about Black representation. She did this really good article for Artsy, These Emerging Black Artists of the Future of Figurative Painting. Isis also did a review of the Jennifer Packer Show that's at the Whitney Museum right now. I mean, just, just type in black figurative painters. It'll pop up this article. Like, why do people feel the need to ask for a list of BIPOC artists? Like, I know that they're trying to be supportive, but I just don't know that that's the way to do it. Because isn't that sort of part of the problem? Yeah, I think I think the I think it lacks initiative. And I think there's probably an aspect like, oh, if I, I think it might be approval too. Like if, if I ask someone um, this in the open, then maybe they'll see I'm trying when really that, that's not what most people are asking for. Like it's very easy to do a Google search or, you know, go on Instagram and, or TikTok or whatever you want and find somebody. And there's, there's a, there's a person of color in every single industry somewhere and it really shouldn't be that difficult. I think it's just laziness and you may be wanting to be praised for their, um, for them asking the question. 
Ripple of Aqua says, it's good to have a change shift in narrative in the art world, but I wonder how long it'll take for it to no longer be a separate class to take like art history teaching only Eurocentric timelines. I mean, I think people are just beginning to realize, hmm, maybe we shouldn't only talk about three white dudes. But the thing is, the problem I have right now, Jordan, is that a lot of the museums right now and a lot of these institutions, a lot of it's window dressing. Them saying, oh, we have these equity initiatives and schools can print all these pretty brochures and put their students of color in the brochure. And I'm like, but that that's just cosmetic. That's not true change. Yeah. And so it's very frustrating because a lot of it, I don't think is really... I don't think their heart is in the right place. Like they, they just have been called out and now they're scrambling to not look terrible. Yeah. I, th I think people just don't want to get left behind in this conversation because it's so uncomfortable. And especially now with social media and things, you can get canceled in 24 hours and, you know, the whole world will suddenly hate you. And, you, you know, no one wants to be that person. And so I understand they're trying to make the effort. And I think a lot of people are genuine. I, I don't want to question how genuine someone is in a situation like this. But I do think it's peculiar that it took, you know, something like George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or one, some other big event for this stuff to come to the forefront. Um, I, I guess the one, one good thing that came from all these events in the last couple of years is that people talking about it and realizing that there's a problem. But yeah, it's still, it still doesn't feel right. It still feels like there needs to be some inner searching. Uh, that happens with these spaces. Sarah says, someone posted an illustrated cross-section of a pregnant Black woman from an anatomy book on Facebook today, and I realized I'd never seen dark skin in an anatomy illustration before. I see Exactly. That. You just accept, oh, that's what all anatomy illustrations look like, and then it's not until you see one that is not that that you realize the whole world of people that you're just, totally missing out on and i'm sorry but art history they have way more catch-up to do that is so blatant in art history i don't even know where to begin so there's this event that happened a couple years ago basically what happened is the brooklyn museum they hired a white female as the african art curator and there were all these press articles about it and people were just furious about the whole thing and art history already really out of touch <laughs> i'm sorry group of people i'm sure there's some art historians out there that are doing some good work but art history does not look good right now they they know that they're in hot water and i don't know that any of it's going to change anytime soon i mean museums are slow to do anything especially regarding change. I mean, Jordan, when's the last time you went to a museum? Um, I want to say maybe three, four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It, there's probably a reason. I mean, because of COVID, actually. But <laughs> yeah, because... that's half the time right there. <laughs> exactly. But museums are not for the people. They like to say that they are but they are not. It's for an extremely privileged group of people who can afford to go to those museums. And it's really not so fun. Yeah. Let's talk about 
the industry a little bit, Jordan, because I know you've had some friends that have had some not so hot experiences working in concept art. Yeah. Um, well, I want to clarify, it's not just concept art. Some of them are writers, some of them are directors. Like it's every job position you can think of. But the story I'll tell right now is from someone who's a, who's a concept artist. They uh, they worked on a film that was basic and basically acted as the art director and, you know, designed all the props for the movie, the characters, the backgrounds, and, you know, sat with the director and went shot by shot and figured out all the stuff for the film. And at the end of it, when the film came out, he wasn't credited with the proper label. And basically what ended up happening was whenever he tried to apply to something else, he couldn't say, hey, I was an art director. So basically kept him at a certain level, even though he had done the work. They didn't credit him properly. So now he is limited to what jobs he can pursue. And, you know, and when they and when he wants a certain position, they're like, oh, well, you don't have the, the, the credit. So we can't we don't know if you can actually do the job. We don't know if you're qualified. Um, and that messes up people's careers all the time. Hollywood is nasty like that. It's really bad. It's not OK. And I think a lot of you have heard my woes. <laughs> Being what I think I was in this one department at one point. I think there were 40 faculty. There were three people of color out of those faculty. It was the only woman at the time. I mean, I think it's shifted a little over the years, but I was like, really? And this excuse that I see people doing all the time, they say, well, it's not always obvious when you're reviewing resumes who's a person of color and there just aren't as many people of color who are candidates. And so ultimately you're just not gonna hire as many people of color. I'm like, it is not a numbers issue. There are so many of us who have been waiting for, or who were waiting for so long. I'm like, you cannot tell me that it's because you couldn't tell at the resume level. It's like people have every excuse in the book for why it needs to be done that way. Yeah, that's so frustrating. And like, I've even heard um, stories from parents. Um, they are very careful not to name their child something that sounds ethnic because of that reason. They don't want whenever they're applying for a job. Twenty, I mean, 20 years down the line, they're thinking about stuff like this. Where like, I don't want my child to miss an opportunity because their name is, you know, whatever it is. Um, and it's, it's really, really sad because I think that also kind of, it diminishes their own culture too on some level, depending on where you come from. So, yeah. Sonnet says, if you want to support, show solidarity with people of color, maybe you should start by asking a person of color. People need to do less talking and listen. Just listen and ask, what can I do to help? Exactly. Because you know what? If you ask an artist, hey, how can I help you? And I'm not even saying a BIPOC artist, any artist. <laughs> you know, you say, what can I do to help you? I would suspect one of the answers would be, hey, I would love it if somebody bought one of my paintings. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah. I mean, if you've never sold your artwork before, somebody buys it, that, that's such a big deal for that artist. Yeah. So why are people feeling like they need to work on such an epic level? I'm like, go to the source, go to the people who you are trying to side with and ask them exactly what they could do to help you. Yeah, I think this actually kind of reminds me of the movie Soul. For those of you guys who've seen it, the message in the movie was like the 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 journey of life is not always about the big monumentous moments. It's about the smaller things. It's about you know 
petting a cat or climbing a tree or getting a slice of pizza, like those smaller things. And I think that can apply here as well. It's not always about the biggest, grandest gestures you can imagine. Sometimes it's, as, as the comment said, simply asking a person of color just that question, how can I support? Buying a painting is not that difficult. You know, you see a painting you like, you put the money down and you take it home with you. Like it's really, it's a very simple transaction. <laughs> So Ave Ree says, I wouldn't want to be in a quote list. I personally would rather that they call me a great artist, period. I feel the labeling comes off as you're a great artist for a BIPOC LGBTQIA person. I know that would make me uncomfortable if it's like, oh, well, she's good because she's an Asian female. It's like, no, I want to be known for my work. Like, I don't want to just be here because I check off a couple of your representation lists. I mean, isn't that sort of adding more insult to injury? Oh, yeah, I definitely think that's the case. I mean, it just it limits the pool even more when you do stuff like that. And I think it's even more uncomfortable being labeled as like, you know, a really good black artist or a really good Asian artist. Like it just it sounds limiting and um, it just it doesn't put a good taste in my mouth at all. This is a good point that C. Cantrell brings up. But wait, are we saying that white people can't curate or teach art from different cultures? Not at all, because, wow, we wouldn't be able to teach anything if that was the rule, necessarily. It's tricky because I think every single context is totally different. I mean, Brooklyn Museum, that's like a high-profile curatorial appointment where there's like a press release and... That's not the same thing as, say, somebody who's teaching at a private high school and they want to incorporate something into their curriculum. That's a very different thing. And I also think the way you go about getting your information is also helpful because we think about that here. I mean, when we did the stream a little ways back about art history, when we put together these streams that have, I don't know, 20 artists, okay, we do look at that list together as a staff and go, you know, it's a little bit weird that we totally did not include this group. Oh, we need to have representation from here. So we try our best, we're not perfect all the time, but I don't need to make a stream that's called, let's look at all the black artists out there. I mean, it's like, that's not the only thing that matters when it comes to those artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think ultimately a lot of it is, it's, it's a human experience, we're humans. and we are different and that's okay i i just i think a lot of it comes down to you know how genuine a person is how how knowledgeable they are about the subject like if they're qualified to teach or you know those things but i i don't think um anyone should be restricted just because they're a different race at the about the teaching something well, this is a good question from Jane, who says, when Black Lives Matter started getting big, I remember a Black person on a news segment saying something like, it's not my job to educate white people. I don't know where we're supposed to learn from them. Any ideas there? I mean, there. I think that there is an aspect where you can, you know, try and learn yourself. Like, you, I'm sure everyone knows a couple of big names or a couple of a couple of big stories that happen. And I think just, just trying to learn. I think that for, for me, for example, when I was in school and I still today have a lot of friends from a lot of different cultures, if I didn't understand something, I would just ask, why is it like, like, what's, what's your story? Like what, what's your background? Like, or, um, you know, just getting a sense of who they are. I think that that 
really helped me to understand them and vice versa. They would do the same thing for me. Um, so it's not our job to teach them, but I think a lot of people, I, I think that that report might just be talking from personal experience too. Like not everyone is quite like that. Um, Ariana says, I'm Latina. In an effort to learn more about my ancestry, I have gone in search of Latinx art history. It's almost impossible to find. Anything I find is typically post-colonial Western-inspired art. They make it hard. It's not like it just shows up on a silver plate. You know, you do have to work to find it. But those people are out there and the Internet has made it easier to find them. I mean, I didn't grow up with the Internet. And if there was not a textbook about... Black artists, you know, I can't look for an article like I can now on the internet. It's pretty easy. Publishing a book is a lot harder than publishing an article online because anybody can put an article online. And so I think that because the internet is here, it is going to level the playing field a little bit. It's still not perfect, but I do think that the ability for people's voices to come out and across, it is so much greater than it was two decades ago, because like, you know, you just started a YouTube channel, Jordan. You didn't have to ask anybody's permission to do that, right? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty awesome. I was just like, upload, and then, you know, that was it. It was great. <laughs> exactly. And we have a comment here from Raven's Fine Art, who says, you learn through genuine friendship. Things come up naturally. However, I was in a date with a white man who asked me to tell him what it was like being Black in America. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. There's you gotta just... ask a certain way. <laughs> Don't ask like that. <laughs> I guess. I mean, sheesh. I... Well. Oh, I was gonna say, um, just in general, like to assume that every person from that culture has the same exact experience is also pretty foolish. Um, there's a show that I like a, a lot, especially when I was a teenager, called The Boondocks. And The Boondocks is very racy. It's, it's on Adult Swim. It's one of those kind of risque shows. But it's primarily about Black people and talks a lot about race and social issues in the Black community. But a lot of the Black community are divided on it. Some people really love it. Some people really hate it. So you can't assume that everyone's going to have that same emotion or love or hate for the same thing just because we all happen to have similar skin tones. Michelle Harris says, when we learn about other cultures moving beyond our comfort zones, we find that there are just so many similarities across cultures for being just human beings on this rock in space. Oh, it's so funny because whenever I've traveled outside of the country, there's so many things that are so different, but then there are some things that just don't change. I mean, people are still grouchy when they get hungry. You know, it's like that doesn't change no matter where you are on the planet. And I think making those connections is really important. Like once you start sort of separating people into another group, it's um pretty difficult. Shen Hu Jin says, I have been in hell when my art professor treated me differently. Oh, yikes. I mean, when I was teaching in academia, I mean, I don't know about you, Jordan, but the generational gap, is it's really embarrassing. It's, it really got to a point where I mean, how how could some of these professors still be around? I mean, like I wasn't in academia for that long, okay? I taught in academia for about 14 years. The culture of the students was so different when I left 
than when I started in 2007. It's because world changes, social media happens, and you have to move with the times. And I, I always made it into this joke with my students because I didn't know any of their terminology. So they would always like teach me. I'd be like, okay, guys, teach me something. And so this one student was like, oh, well, I'll, I'll teach you about saucing. I'm like, what is saucing? He's like, oh, it's like, you go to a prom and you're, you're saucing. I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, it's like, you look good. You look really good. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but it's like, that's what people who are older need to be doing. You need to be asking those questions, even if it's something silly, like, the slang that I am never going to use. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I would probably never use that slang either. <laughs> <laughs> Gerardo says, for example, I'm, quote, Latino by American standards, but the art of my country is very different from the countries next to mine. So looking at every country culture is important if you want to learn. Exactly. I mean, that's where I think, yes, you should read the news. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But I think oftentimes that lens, it's very detached because it's so big, like you're trying to talk about a whole continent and really none of us are whole continents. We're people. And that's why it has to come down to these smaller interactions. And that's where you really learn. I mean, when I was teaching Everest Project Open Door, we had all these kids who were from uh, let's see, Barbados, we had kids from Cape Verde, and they got me into Portuguese rap. <laughs> like, I, like, I'm not into rap, okay, like, typically that's not, like, my cup of tea, but they were, like, playing Portuguese rap, I was like, oh my god, I kind of love this. So it's like, it doesn't have to start from, like, an art thing, it's just anything, or, like, I'd say, like, hey, what'd you guys eat for breakfast? And they would tell me something. I don't know what that is. Tell me what that is. And so it doesn't have to be this big political thing. Yeah, I remember, this just reminds me, when I was a freshman, uh, some of my closest friends happened to be Korean. And they would take me to Korean barbecue restaurants all the time. And they would teach me stuff that was on the menu. And they'd be like, oh, this is tteokbokki. This is this, this is this. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I love this. <laughs> it was just, you know. Just getting a different experience was amazing for me. I love that. Well, this is interesting. Anna says, yes, I want to be known for my artwork, but I'm willing to play the identity politics, quote, game, because being queer slash differently abled Jewish influences my art, and sometimes it's the only way to get ahead. Well, what do you think about that, Jordan? Because maybe it's not always such a bad thing. Um, I guess it depends on the longevity. If you, it depends how far you want to go because some people, I'm not saying this is you, but some people practically push their identities down to get ahead, um, and they feel a certain way. Some people will um, exploit their identities to get to a certain place, and it really just, you know, I feel like everyone's comfort levels is different. Um, so I don't know if there's a, it's, I don't think it's a black and white issue. I think it just depends on if you feel comfortable revealing this much about yourself in this environment to get these results and dealing with the repercussions of that. And we have to face that anyway on a regular basis for just random stuff. So yeah, that's a great question though. Well, actually I was talking to somebody recently and they are disabled and they said to me, well, should I put that in my artist website? Should I tell people that I'm disabled? And I was like, well, listen, it's your choice. I mean, you can, you don't have to. And I said to them, maybe the circumstance to say that 
is if your work is about your experience being disabled, then it makes sense to put it into your narrative bio. Maybe that makes it feel less random. I'm not saying that, you know, you can't tell people that, but I can see how some people may use that against you in certain circumstances. So it, it really depends on the artist because some people, their work is not anything about their identity or about their race or anything is like totally not related. And maybe they don't want anyone to see any of that. I mean, it's very tricky. I just think that we're at the very beginning. I think people are just starting to see this and there's a lot of window dressing going on right now, but I don't know. I sort of love and hate the internet at the same time, Jordan, because I know that it's given a lot of people voices who never would have before, but then people are so horrible to each other in the internet. Yeah. I think that's why I'm thankful for the art prof family because everyone is so nice here. I know. <laughs> we have like the nicest comments ever. It's great. Oh, I know. Could you imagine this topic on any other YouTube channel? It would be so scary. Like, oh my gosh, not, no, good. not at all. Well, here's a good comment from Donnie who says, most of my art has put a focus on mental health and my identity in the Black and LGBT communities. So I end up putting that info in my bio. Yeah, if you think it's relevant and it's going to help you in your practice as an artist, I think that would be a good thing. Now, everybody, in January, we are running these premium tracks. We are super excited to be offering character design, MFA portfolios, figure drawing, and anatomy. Premium tracks, we do charge a fee for these, but they are your opportunity to work very closely with the Art Prof staff. You get access to voice sessions. You get pretty much every day of the week access to us in the Discord to get support. Jordan is running this one with me, character design. Jordan, what's the difference between the premium track versus just hanging out with us in the Discord? Uh, well, with the premium track, it's a very focused uh, system. You get to ask us very specific questions about your progress, and it's a couple of weeks long, so we get to talk back and forth and give you extra attention that we ordinarily wouldn't be able to give to someone just on Discord posting one piece you know, every couple of days. So it's a great opportunity to just pick our brains and see how to improve, especially if you have a specific project. So, yeah. I well, and I also, I also think for a lot of artists, they need the structure. Sometimes it's really hard to just be like, I want to get better at character design, but I don't really know what to do. I don't know what lesson I should study. I don't know what skills I need first. And so the premium tracks give you a lot of structure and also a lot of peer feedback and really prompt support. Because I think that's sort of the number one gripe that I hear from artists that is so hard to get good feedback that you can trust that's efficient. Oftentimes you have to wade through like all these different art communities. And I'll tell you, this really is the closest to the level of dedication that I would give to my students at RISD because student would enter my class. I'm like, okay, I'm your teacher for the semester. I'm all in it with you. I will stand by you just like this, except that of course it's done online. Thank you so much, Anna, for the super chat. Anna says, art prof artists are the kindest artists. Thank you so much for that. So we hope some of you will take a look at the premium tracks because we do have a lot of information on that on artprof.org. We even have galleries of the student artwork that was done in the most recent premium track. 
Registration is due Friday, December 17th. So make sure you take a look at it before then. Art Prof has a podcast. It's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And Jordan and I will be in the Art Prof Discord in the post live streams channel. There are a lot of great comments we did not get to. So hopefully we can chat a little bit more over there. Subscribe to our channel, like this video, leave us a comment. And a big thank you to our top Patreon supporters. All of you are so important. We want to get that Patreon goal. We're getting there, but we're so close, but so far away. And remember, when you pledge on Patreon, you get perks. You get access to Patreon channels in the Discord. You get snail mail. You get email newsletters, all kinds of fun, exclusive stuff. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye.